This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. You know, today's a little different. We're talking about vapes. Eco vapes. <laughs> just kidding. This has nothing to do with vapes. Uh, Jason, we just saw you. We just saw you at uh, Namoga. Namoga was uh, nice enough to have us out there. We spoke uh, on kind of the future of the oil and gas industry and how the the digital wildcatter community is kind of leading the way. Yeah, we saw that. We saw your booth there. Um, yep. Jake's like, "Oh, hey, that's just coming on the podcast." <laughs> yep, well, no, it's good to see you yeah, guys. There. It's funny you mentioned vapes. Uh, We've definitely had some vapes sent to our office before. Oh, yeah. that we're in the biz, and uh, we certainly are not in that biz. Well, you know what's funny is every once in a while I get people reaching out on email wanting to they're cat bloggers, and they're like, "Hey, can we write about cats on your hey, website?" Growth, and I'm like, Colin. "That's not what Wildcatters is. We should just put random cat vlogs out. Yeah. We should do that just as like a uh, it's like a little stick. Like here's our cat blog, but." Anyways, man, uh, let's talk about eco vapors a little bit and what you guys do. And we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, your, your prior history before we were on, uh, on the podcast and it, we had some interesting overlap in our previous <laughs> career. So we'll dive into that too, but tell us what eco vapors is real quick. Yeah, no. So, so eco vapor, you know, we exist all around trying to eliminate, uh, natural gas flaring and venting. And so we exist in this problem statement of let's eliminate waste. You know, a lot of people talk about energy transition. I've heard you talk about energy addition instead of energy transition. Yeah. So for us, it's really about, you know, look, there's a lot of wasted uh, oil and gas out there. There's a lot of um, uh, areas for improvement in our industry. Yeah. And so particularly where we play a role is that if you look at the emissions problem in our, in our industry, a lot of it stems from the production process and a big chunk of that you know, stems from waste emissions, what we'd call venting, flaring, fugitive emissions. Mm -hmm. And so that's exactly where we play. So we have solutions that can help capture all this tank uh, vapor, uh, treat it, purify it. So it's pipeline ready. So you can sell the gas instead of flare the gas. So it's pretty, pretty simple value proposition. Yeah. um, You know, I talked about that when we were at Namoga, that my favorite area right now of energy tech is in sustainability and oil and gas. And a big part of that is methane mitigation and detection and recovery. And so this, you know, obviously fits in that bucket. So interested to dive into that. Let's talk about how, let's talk about your background. Um, you got an interesting background. You told me about when you were at the fund and you heard that, you know, I worked at Inventure and yep. the fund started Inventure. So we know uh, some of the same people. This. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So tell, uh, you know, was there something before the fund? Tell us about your background. Yeah, no, that's right. So I started my career at Shell fresh out of uh, Boulder. So I went to University of Colorado, came straight to Shell out of there. And um, so I have a finance background. But uh, so I quickly, after a few years at Shell, was in corporate finance. And then I transitioned into the Shell Technology Ventures Group. And I was part of the team that created that we we um, we spun out a fund of uh, Shell Technology Ventures and created uh, a fund with secondary investors. And it was called Kinda Capital, yeah. uh, where, the, where the sponsors or were the uh, general partner of that fund. And so we managed a whole range of energy technology startups, some that were created out of Shell, like InVenture. But then in addition, lots of other third-party investments that we made in a bunch of uh, companies that you've probably heard of along the way that are now within some of the larger OFS space uh, 
uh, large cap names. So yeah. we built a lot of companies that you, you want. You want to drop any names? <laughs> well, that, that, so some of the some of the companies that came from that fund. Um, so uh, Inventure is one of them. Well Dynamics was another one that's mm. now inside of Halliburton. Yep. Um, Geodynamics was one of our investments. One of them that I was yeah. Involved I mean, in so let's talk about you know point of time. David Wesson, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Point of you know let's get a point of reference here for time because. I mean, Inventure's 22 years old now. And so, I mean, this fund, I'm sure Inventure, you know, that fund kind of coincided timing around around then, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Shell Technology Ventures started around then. Um, the fund we created out of that or that Shell created out of that was uh, around 2007 timeframe is when it went live. So yeah. I joined in 2006 and the first thing I did was uh, go start working on the creation of this fund with uh, uh, under the uh, managing partner. And so once we did that, we... Uh, Spun it out in 2007, and then and there's still some of those companies within that fund today. But you know, Shell Ventures, of course, is back in doing uh, mm -hmm. uh, the full corporate venture uh, vehicle as it's uh, as it's well known today, and having yep. a lot of great success. But you know, Shell's been out there in this space for a long time, yeah. and that fund in particular, you know, has had uh, you know a lot of learnings, but of course, as well, a lot of successes as well. And and Inventure continues to you know be, yeah. be a great part of that story. Yeah, uh, we actually our boy Kurt Coburn from Shell Ventures yeah. was on the podcast earlier. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go check it out. Uh, Kurt's a really interesting guy and is helping lead that effort there now. But it's interesting to hear your story because. Uh, I mean, you're, you're kind of OG in the space of energy <laughs> tech, right? Like you probably look at us like all oh, these guys, you know, they talk about energy tech. We've been doing it for you know, 20, 20 years. You've seen kind of a full, full range of, uh, energy tech. And, you know, I made a comment also at Namoga the other day, like, Hey, you know, when we talk about the, the innovation in the industry, like when you talk about downhole, there's been the companies you mentioned and venture geodynamics those are all downhole tool and technology companies right and so and we kind of found hey this is the new wave of uh digital technology um yeah we got to get david wesson on from geo geo dynamics yeah, i mean what happen. a what a guy over there yeah. but yeah you know when i was we may have podcast listeners that don't know but I was a project manager at Adventure mm -hmm. Global Technology, and so I ran uh, ran that tool. And uh, back when you guys started that, you know, it was really kind of a JV between Shell and Halliburton was yep. in, uh, you know, starting That's it right. as well, and then ended off spinning off uh, some of it to Halliburton. They took the uh, VersaFlex anchor hanger with them, and, and Venture focused on uh, uh, open hole and uh, yep. uh, case hole liners, and you know, probably I don't. I don't know if you can dive into that, but it sounds like a pretty bad <laughs> Pro business Probably can't decision. dive into uh, anything specific <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. But what, Ver what Versaflex can, anchor hanger yeah. is a billion dollar tool now. Uh, so Halliburton, you know, really, uh, really, uh, they, they cashed in on that one. Yep. But, you know, super cool technology. Yep. Um, you know, we we're talking about it. I was like, you know, I think it's what I loved about running that tool was that I had confidence that it was going to work. Like it was just a fucking great tool. And so, um, you know, I, I think that technologies like yeah, that absolutely. are really interesting. And you know, you know, what's been amazing to me seeing all of this is that, you know, you look at these portfolios uh, that are within a lot of the energy, uh, whether it be corporate venture or true, you know, fund venture capital uh, companies that are focused on energy. There is a ton of just fantastic technology. Um, some that's made it and commercially done very well and some that has not. And so you look at companies like that and some of the other companies that have been successful out of these funds. And I think the other thing, that a lot of people don't realize is just how hard it is. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you go from starting with a massive R&D check and then you actually have to build a company and build inventory <laughs> and build capital. 
and it's it's tough and so those you know so i've always just had a massive amount of respect for those that can actually start it get it done take it all the way through and make it successful yeah. and um you know there's a there's a lot of people out there that claim they're uh uh, they're entrepreneurs, you know, and yeah. I, I wouldn't claim myself to be one, yeah. even though, you know, I've run some entrepreneurial businesses. Um, you know, I kind of, the standard to me is kind of like, well, when you've swiped your credit card for payroll, then, you <laughs> yeah. know, then you know, you've really been an entrepreneur. <laughs> That's a great litmus yeah. test, and, and a great so, filter for you sure. Know, and so I, yeah. I've certainly not been there, but I have a huge amount of respect. For yeah. All these I really like like inventory, you know, just being internal there and just seeing how complex and think, you know, myself, you know, really being an entrepreneur and thinking about, you know, if yeah. you're going to start a company like that from scratch, the R and D burden at the mm -hmm. beginning. And then, um, you know, they handle all supply chain and manufacturing and then the commercialization of actually getting it distributed. You know, yep. you and I were talking I'm like, I think I can help them a ton with distribution and marketing and just all the different components that go into making a business, even if the product is great, the commercialization of it is a whole nother, yep. another beast. Well, and then so, the investment side of it's tough too. If you think about the risk that you're taking, so let's say you take that first phase of just R&D, you know, you can be five, $10 million in just in that phase. And then you take on the building risk and you take on the commercialization risk and you wake up pretty quick and you're 25 into one of these companies. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, and so being right becomes very important. Yeah. And so you see this transition now to much of the energy venture investment these days is digital. And I don't think that's necessarily by mistake either. I think that there's, you know, it, it's it's much less capital intensive yeah. and of course there's a huge opportunity we all know how far behind our industry has been on the digital side mm -hmm. um but you know there's there's been a real transition on where these capital flows are going whether it be digital whether it be energy transition yeah. or you know what you'd even call oil and gas clean tech which is kind mm -hmm. of the, the the you know as you talked about some of the methane mitigation and everything else there's yeah. a lot of new areas that are coming to coming to light now that offer huge, offer huge opportunities. Yeah. A really interesting, I don't want to get too off on a side tangent of this, but a, a really interesting thing that I just thought about was, uh, I moderated this panel, this, uh, at this geothermal conference and the panel was venture capital and geothermal. And I'm looking at geothermal and I'm just like, man, the capital commitment that you mm -hmm. have to develop new high heat application, uh, technology and the timeline that's associated with that, like are these VCs that are yep. typically used to <laughs> digital technology that are now moving in this space. You know, I was asking questions on like, like, do you guys have the patience? And you know, you brought it up right there. All of a sudden you're 25 mil in and you better be, you better be right. Um, you're seeing that now, like in the geothermal yeah. space. And it, in, and it gives you an example of why it's hard. Well, so you've seen that there's been a lot of success with the corporate venturing model yeah. you see all of uh, most of the majors at this point have a corporate venturing arm yeah and um and i think that they they have to bridge that gap a little bit that you know before you can get straight to a fund because you're right a fund a true fund may not have the same level of patience yeah but, how would you define success in a cvc i mean is it the same as a normal vc fund or are you are you determining success based on because a lot of them for them and their thesis, it has to be something that's applicable for their business. That's not the case for all of them, but I would say for most of them, yeah. right? More so than actually even getting returns on these investments. So I'm curious how you think about yeah, that. Yeah, and so so they're all different. And so I, th I don't think you can generalize, um, you know, and I think that they all have their own separate mandates, but they definitely have multi-tiered objectives, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so they all want to make money. I mean, they all want to, or at least make sure they're covering their cost of capital or, or whatever it might be. So absolutely. They want to make sure they're a profitable endeavor. So that's definitely part of it. 
but you're right. I mean, if you look at some of these um, corporate venture vehicles, part of it is access to technology. They know that if there is not a steady investment in technology, our industry falls behind. Mm-hmm. And so they mm-hmm. view themselves as one way to, to, uh, to fill that gap. And so, you know, in, in my background, some of them that I've worked with, whether it be co-investing or whether you know, I ran a business that, you know, we had two of the different corporate venture capital uh, vehicles into, um, it absolutely was a dual mandate where if you are not applicable to the assets that we have in our portfolio, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter because, you know, we're not, you know, our, our shareholder mandate isn't to be a corporate venture capital fund. Our mandate is to, you know, be a better business and, you know, return to our shareholders, even through deployment of technology and developing mm-hmm. our reserves and whatever that might be. So yeah. there's absolutely a dual mandate. And I think there has to be um, for them to kind of play a little bit of an earlier stage role than some of the other, you know, funds may be willing to play. How long yeah. have you been venture capital? Um, probably about 10 years. And was that all at Shell? Uh, so I started at Shell, yes, Shell and Kinda Capital, yeah, which okay. was the, you know, so Spot we out. actually brought in additional investors. So it wasn't just Shell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, from about 06 until, uh, you know, so I went into a portfolio company and kind of dual had mm-hmm. it for a while, but uh, some from about 06 until about 16, 15, 16 timeframe. So what cool. did you do after that? So I went into one of our portfolio companies um, that was called Exact, which was another downhole technology okay. business. Um, and so managed that for, uh, several years. Um, and at at first I had kind of a dual hat where I had to do some of our, um, I was still a principal in the fund, but then, uh, went into exact, which was backed not only by our fund, but also by BP ventures. Mm. And then, so we sold that to Baker Hughes in 2018. So then in 2018, after we sold exact into there, I went and, uh, joined Baker Hughes. Okay. And then how'd you get onto EcoVapor? How did you know, how, how did you go from Baker Hughes to EcoVapor? So, well, so Baker Hughes, um, I was running a business um, called Avitas, okay. which, uh, which was really around emissions management solutions. We had um, drone-based methane inspection. We had continuous monitoring methane inspection, uh, as well as some, uh, you know, machine learning AI applications as well. And uh, really, really clever business. And so then also was working on emissions management strategies within Baker Hughes. And so through all of that, you know, became a little bit aware of EcoVapor and then, um, uh, you know, after, after a while, after some conversations with the uh, private equity backer of uh, EcoVapor, um, you know, moved over there and uh, <laughs> have uh, now been there for about four months. So it's it, it's been fun and fast and exciting so far and uh, good things ahead for EcoVapor for was, sure. Was there anything that was like surprising, you know, for you going from, you know, being the VC, investing into these companies to switching roles into more of like that operator role and now yep. you're kind of reporting to the VCs like... Yep. Like walk us through that a little bit. Well, so, so I can walk you through a little bit, but I think the easiest way to think about it, what I always kind of reference is that, you know, you go from being the one that could ask the smart ass questions to being mm-hmm. the one that has to a- to answer those questions. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's different. There's there's pros and cons of both. Um, I enjoy both. Um, the investment side, you know, you're always high level. You're more worried about okay, what's the thesis? What's the market? How do we position this? Who's the ultimate buyer? Um, you know, what's our value proposition, whereas in you're still just equally as worried about that when you're on the operations side, but you also, more than anything, you have to make sure your team is engaged. You have to make sure you have the right people in the right places. And so there's a team element that I find much more attractive on the operator side as opposed to the um, the investor side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're both great and they both serve a, a very valuable purpose. 
and so it's just different. It's just a different. Um, I like you. Uh, I like you better as an operator than a VC. <laughs> I don't like VCs too much. So stay, uh, yeah, stay but, an operator. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's the defense I'll give to any VC out there, and and I've seen it a lot. You know, so founders very. You know, and obviously you guys are founders. Uh, yeah, a lot of times can be very skeptical of the money that's coming in. But you know, there's very few instances where the investor can succeed at your expense or vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, generally yeah. you're either gonna fail together or win together. Yeah. And so I think if you set yourself up with that frame of mind and if you set yourself up knowing that look, we're on the same team, yeah, and we're either gonna, you know, pop champagne or drown our sorrows together, then yeah. I think you're in a good spot and yeah. structure it accordingly. Yeah, I just think you made a comment about like the smart ass questions <laughs> and um it drives me crazy when I'm thinking of like twenty thousand uh, smart ass questions. Well, here's the thing. I mean, they're super <laughs> smart, right? I mean, anyone yeah. that's in private equity, venture capital, yeah. I mean, they're these are highly educated, very sophisticated investors. I mean, can and you so, say most of can them? You, never, can you most, make that blanket statement though? But, but no, most of them, I've never, met some pretty most, retarded but, VCs. Yeah. I'm being honest. Look, but but the point is, they're, they're used to looking at a business through a certain lens. Yeah, and so. Yeah. And so I guess one benefit just, I, I have I'm is I'm pure, used to that list. I'm pure operator. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, if you haven't built a business, fuck you. <laughs> you don't have, like, if you it, haven't swiped your credit card for yeah, payroll, yeah, yeah I so get it. I that's get it. Like, so, it's like pure operator yeah. bias from me. But no, I, I like, I, I've got plenty of friends that are in VC. No, no, like, and, and you're absolutely right. There like, is definitely a difference in perspective because, and I honestly think the human element is probably the biggest difference because, yeah. you know, the, the investor, other than maybe dealing with the executive management team, isn't dealing with the real nitty gritty trials and tribulations that's going on with your your team around you, yeah, and you know what what might be going on in their personal lives or what might be going on to why you know the business truly isn't growing and there's no easy button you know to uh, flip the uh, to switch, flip and, the switch and you know sales are all of a sudden going to go crazy and so it's uh, it's difficult but you know typically you know the good funds are on your side and they're yeah. there to provide a resource and but at the same time they're there to challenge you and yeah so. You know, I, I think the best ones will sharpen you and, yeah, and leave you a little bit for better. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's good and bad relationships yep. and everything, right? So I think <laughs> yeah. we've actually beat that dead horse on the show of making sure that you take capital from the right partners because it is mm-hmm. a, it's a partnership, right? And a relationship. So, if, yeah. You're interviewing them just like they're interviewing you when you're yep. going through the process. So yep. just like a job interview, yep. you know, it's, you know, make sure that these are people because... And it's the same thing if you were joining a fund or if you're joining a team, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to hire someone just like you don't want to hire into a place where, you know, you can't get on with those people. Yeah. So Yeah. hundred percent. So let's talk about, you know, sorry for like going deep into. We haven't had a VC on since Kirk. So I like getting holistic uh, view of energy tech from someone mm-hmm. that's been in it for, you know, 10 to 20 years and has seen a lot of things. I think that it's really valuable to us and the listeners to, um, you know, kind of extract your wisdom and insight of everything that you've seen. And so let's talk about eco vapors a little bit. Like, what do you guys actually do? Like mm-hmm. you gave me the high level of, yeah. Hey, you know, we're focused on, uh, methane mitigation and rogue emissions, but like, what do you actually yep. do? No, easy. Well, first off, if I'm here to impart wisdom, we're all screwed. So <laughs> just, just be aware of just that. Take it with a grain but, of salt. Uh, yeah. Take it with a grain of salt. Exactly. But so, so eco vapor, what we specifically do is you know, as I was kind of set up, I always like to start with the problem statement. That's why I always set it up accordingly. But when you think about a huge source of emissions from our operations, they really do stem from these production tanks, whether it be, you know, a vent from a thief hatch, a nardo valve, whatever it might be, um, all the way to the flare. And so when you hear a lot of people talk about eliminating routine flaring, they're a lot of times talking about, you know, making sure they're properly set up with gas takeaway capacity, 
um, and, and making sure that there's no high pressure flare going on out there. But the tank and downstream of the tank, you know, there's a huge amount of vapors built up there that a lot of times end up straight to the flare. And there's a variety of reasons that that can happen. One, it could be contaminated gas. So air comes into these tanks, um, air, whether it be through truck loading, whether it be through leaky hatches, whatever it might be. And so all of these midstream pipelines have, you know, oxygen specifications on their lines. You know, you can't be higher than X, you know, 10 ppm uh, oxygen or else, you know, they'll reject the gas or they may even shut in your production, shut in your gas. And so one of the uh, solutions we offer is the ability to capture that gas treat it for oxygen so that you can then send it straight to the sales pipeline. We also have H2S solutions. So we have the ability to eliminate H2S from some of these gas streams. So once again, you can get it into the sales pipeline. So that gas purification, we have some real proprietary processes there. So that's one thing that's unique to us. So are those things detected as they're going into the sales pipeline? So um, generally, at, you know, wh whether it's at the custody meter or wherever it might be, yeah, they generally have the ability to analyze what's in these gas streams. Okay. And so, and so, so we the, do too. The, the midstream company mm -hmm. themselves are yeah. analyzing. Well, you've got it. them. They're protecting an asset, and they're protecting yeah. everyone's asset, right? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. if you've got a corroded line, then that hurts everybody. Yeah. So you know, so really, that's so that's one element of what we do. That oxygen removal is an important piece of ensuring that we can take, you know, some of this gas that may be wasted, flared, vented, whatever it might be, and continuing to ensure that it makes its way to its sales pipeline. Okay. Um, H2S removal. Um, we also have the ability to do site assessments. The ability to come in. Uh, help you understand, you know, okay, uh, what's going on in my tanks? What are the pressures? What is the uh, um, what is the contamination in my gas? You know, all the with the central theme of, you know, eliminating flaring and venting from these operations. And that's all around waste. Really. Yeah. I mean, because it's not, you know, there's a variety of ways to get our handle around the emissions problem. But, you know, a lot of people like to think about environmental benefit and economic benefit kind of being mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And and we don't see it that way. We're we're proud of the fact that, you know, not only are we help you know enabling a big step change in emissions reduction, we're also offering a huge ROI. You you can imagine if you're putting 300 mcf a day back into the sales line <laughs> instead of flaring it. I mean, doesn't take you but you know probably mm -hmm. a handful of days to pay back the return on our investment. Well, that's my favorite talking point on rogue emissions and methane leaks is mm -hmm. that's product. Like these, yeah, anyone outside the industry, I, I try telling them that like, Hey, oil and gas companies are incentivized yeah. to contain that because it's their product. Like they need to put it in the pipeline. Well, And, and you look it. at, and when you look at an energy constrained energy short world that everyone seems to be talking about right now, it's even more important, right? Yeah. So m mutual benefit, why, you know, eliminate the emission, but more importantly, capture it, do something with it, put yeah. it to beneficial use. Yeah. And so that's the theme of eliminating waste is really kind of core to what we do. Yeah. So you talked about you guys have this intellectual property to remove uh, H2S, um, sour, you know, sour gas, remove H2S from the gas. Um, is that a mechanical process? Is it a chemical based process? So, so most of the intellectual property is on the oxygen side, but we have, so both of them though. Um, so on the oxygen side, we have a combination of uh, special metal catalyst and, and heat essentially is what is helping mm -hmm. with the conversion and eliminating the oxygen. We essentially nuke the oxygen out yeah, um, and put it, you know, so as the gas flows through. Um, yeah. And then on the H2S side, it's a solid media, iron oxide-based media yeah. um, that, uh, you know, we, we have our envelope that makes sense where we're a very easy, practical solution. Yeah. As opposed to a lot of these chemical treatment solutions where you're sitting there on the knob, 
you know, you're dialing in your triazine and everything else. So yeah. So I mean, someone that's not familiar with that process, you know, when we talk about whether it's a chemical process or, I mean, if you have like media filters, that'd be a mechanical process, right? Is that a mechanical process? Um, this episode, is- this episode is brought to you by liquid frameworks. Now a service max company. You know, we talk about a lot of cutting edge technology every single week. And what's crazy is that a lot of ENPs and OFS companies are still managing their field operations in Excel and on paper. And it's the year 2021. Blows my mind. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. It's such a pain. It's time consuming. And all in all, it's just so inefficient. So luckily for you, Liquid Frameworks has been making people's lives in the field and the back office so much easier for years now. Their field effects platform streamlines communication between accounting, field operations, office management, all with the touch of a button. They're trusted by a lot of the biggest teams, Liberty Oilfield, X-Pro, Shaw Core, Champion X, and a bunch of others. So if you're still stuck on paper in Excel, thinking about finally making that switch, it's about time. Check out the website, schedule a demo. Uh, we've got a link in the show notes below. Uh, you can click that, schedule a demo. Uh, they also have a demo from their presentation at Energy Tech Night Houston uh, recently. Uh, so you can go and check that out. It's going to be on our YouTube, be on our website. Uh, but Feel free to reach out to these guys, schedule an appointment uh, to get a demo walkthrough. Thanks, Liquid Frameworks. In the show notes. Regardless, um, you know, if you have chemicals, you're using uh, scavengers and, you know, you're, like you said, dialing in a knob to, you know, dump in more chemicals. And, you know, I think um, you know, scavengers, sometimes they have, you know, negative effects that go with them too, but also just price, you know, yep. like more more scavenger you're using your price, your, your variable cost goes up as well. Um, so that's cool. Um, we were, we had one podcast, I can't remember who it was. Um, but we were talking about like the smell of West Texas <laughs> and especially in like some old fields, you know, especially like you go out around, um, like Seminole and out towards like Eastern New Mexico. I mean, it just smells like old crude and like that's what i think of you know, like, <laughs> yeah well, that's probably where you're you know, like i think of the sulfur you know like yeah, i grew yeah. up i grew up in midland and it's like man i grew up on the smell of you know waking up in the morning smelling h2s and diesel like that's what i run off of <laughs> there you go. i mean yeah um, champion. yeah it is man and um but that's a result or it's a byproduct of rogue emissions especially mm-hmm you know, when people talk about methane mitigation, like you said, they usually think about flaring, but it's like, man, how much do we have that leaks off of tank batteries yeah. and things? Or so- is just flat vented. Yeah, because I didn't so, know, I, yeah. I, I didn't know, like, um, you brought up, like, truck, like, the air issue um, and trucks hooking up. I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. And um, so that could be, you know, that could be a huge issue across and There's tank a batteries. huge amount of sources of these fugitives. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. And so now, you know, as monitoring is getting more and more prevalent, you know, there's a huge amount of technologies out there, whether it be satellite down to aerial, down to drone, down to, you know, guys walking around with the OGI cameras and then even continuous monitoring devices. What is driving those, this, it, this newfound transparency in emissions. And so what's going to be in- interesting to see over time is the reconciliation between kind of how emissions have been calculated Mm-hmm. Um, how they're, you know, how you're submitting to the EPA based on calculations, based on what's on your site versus what the actual, um, you know, monitored emissions are. Yeah. And so, and, but the, the, the positive of all of that is it's driving us to take action. It's yeah. driving us to do something about it. You know, this isn't about who's right and who's wrong. This is about action. And so where there is technology to mitigate, let's take advantage of it. Yeah. You know, and so being in energy tech for a while, 
there's always been this one conversation, which is the risk aversion of our industry towards new technology. And, um, you know, the reality is we're in a risky business by default, so you want to eliminate every other risk that you can along the way. And so, um, you know, with that comes this aversion to not take on too much new challenge when it comes to technology. But, you know, this is kind of one of those where it's like, well, I don't know that we can afford the same lack of adoption as we have. And, you know, this isn't about getting another day or another, you know, another foot of ROP or another, you know, this is kind of about, look, we need to act, you know, we yeah. need to make sure. Because like you said, and it's also even just about making sure we're containing our product just as much as it is about, you know, making sure that we're not emitting. I mean, mm -hmm. but all of the above, these are, there are technologies that exist right now that can help. And I think it's great to see the industry taking some action. But at the same time, you know, I think one thing that everyone's, you know, big fans of you guys for is the fact that we also need to be proponents of our industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the greatest industry in the world. And, you know, we're not here to shame it. We're here to say that we can do better. Yeah. We can well, that's, ways. that's mm -hmm. why I'm so bullish and hyped up on uh, methane mitigation and containment because it has the, in my mind, it could be the biggest impact over the next 10 years for the world's climate goals. Like, hey, we're not talking about shit that we can do in 2030, 2040, 2050. Yep. The technology exists today to make an impact. And so barriers we should be are getting this. lower yeah. and lower and lower to entry. Yeah. Yep. I mean, like I think back to our Cube Technologies yeah. uh, podcast, and he was saying, you know, with, with a lot of the emissions detection, it was, you know, it was big, it was expensive, <laughs> yep. and the threshold for detection was so high. So, yep. so many little, I guess I'll just call them kind of nickel and dime little yep. emissions kind of, you know, stated by. But yep. if you look at the aggregate of those, it was actually much larger than the big mm -hmm. emissions. Well, and, and the reality is there's no perfect answer. So, you know, whether it's a satellite picking up, you know, thousands, you know, you're only picking up majorly something like a satellite, you know, then the aerial flyovers that some of these guys do, you know, okay, maybe you're down to like the hundred scoff per hour type leaks, and then all the way down to drone and people on the ground. There's a solution for almost any of these different types of, uh, uh, leak rates and so balancing the cost versus your objective is really the name of the game you yeah. know what is the what is the balance of cost versus detection threshold um that you know you can that you want to deploy into your operation to make sure you're driving change is really you know kind of kind of where it is and all of these technologies are coming down in cost mm -hmm. so um you know even the couple of years where i was at uh, avitas it was remarkable to see um where the cost started and where the cost ended up um across the industry yeah. Because, you know, that's the thing is there are cost-effective solutions now. Um, yeah. So, you know, hopefully they can see some uh, some rapid uptake. And, and they are. I mean, yeah. you can see it. They, they really are doing it. Um, yeah, I'm actually, I had some people from Chicago and New York the other day asking me, hey, you know, what, what technologies are in the space? And I'm actually going to, I'll wait until this podcast drops because I'm going to write like a master thread on Twitter of like, hey, here are companies in the space that are working on it. Here's links to the episodes give me some downloads out of this thing <laughs> there you um go. but you know I, I think you know like i was talking i ran into this engineer randomly at a swimming pool at a hotel in san antonio while me and the wife and kids were driving back from midland uh last month and he's a lead uh, production engineer for one of the uh largest private operators out in west texas mm -hmm. and he said that they're putting vru's mm -hmm. on uh or vapor Vapor recovery yeah, units, so right? V yeah, VRTs yeah. and VRUs, they're a little bit different. Okay, cool. And I actually don't know the difference. If you know the difference, we should dive into that. Um, but he was talking about, he's like, yeah, he's like, we're going not only on new pads, he's like, we're going back and retrofitting all of our old pads. He's like, not only because is it the right thing to do, he's like, but it just makes sense yep. 
economically to do it as well. He's like, so he's like, I'm ordering BRUs like, like crazy. So, um, you see companies doing that and it's, it's, you know, I, I talk about oil and gas guys, like they're the most capitalistic guys that you can meet. Right. <laughs> yep. So that's how you, you, it doesn't get much easier than yeah making sure you're capturing your own gas yeah exactly I mean, it's so, like these guys don't want their gas yeah. well, flaring off into the atmosphere because it's money it's value yeah. that they're losing and, out of their I'm asset. glad you brought up VRTs and VRUs because it plays exactly into what eco vapor does okay so a vapor VRU vapor recovery unit that's it's a compressor right? okay I mean it's essentially capturing and moving gas into the sales pipeline a vapor recovery tower is upstream of your production tanks so you're producing some oil into it. You're capturing the vapor off of the top of it and, you know, sending that to the sales line as well. So you're doing some vapor capture, but that's upstream of the tanks. Okay. Now fast forward. So, you know, so we usually say you're probably capturing. Before, 60 before we fast forward, um, can we dive into the VRUs a little bit more? Because honestly, like I'm not even that familiar with them. So VRT, the tower is upstream from the tank. So it's flowing through the tank. You're capturing some vapor. It's before the tank. So you'd yeah. be capturing before the tank. Before right? the tank. Okay. VRU is. It can be after or before. It depends on how you're configured. Okay. So if you're. So is it one so of the going, other or is it? It's going no. through. It's going through. Before your, you could have both. It's going okay. through your separator on the tank and then the gas is yeah, moving so into the production VRU. comes in, goes through the separators, you know, so send gas away, mm -hmm. send oil to the tanks or send oil to the VRT. VRT also the next layer of separation. It's a second layer. Yep. Okay. So capture vapor, send Got it to you. the sales line. Yeah. Or, you know, send the rest of the tanks. So generally that VRT may be capturing, let's say 60, 70% of your vapor volume. You're still sending all that to the tank. So you're still, you still have a vapor stream in that tank. Yeah. So fast forward now, if you have a VRU downstream of the tanks partnered with what EcoVapor does, you can now have a hundred percent gas capture because, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily want to capture that because it can be contaminated. It can have oxygen rich gas because of, you know, all of the issues we were talking about earlier. So now if you have a VRU downstream of those tanks and you send that gas through one of our units to de to take all the oxygen out, now you can have 100% gas capture on your site, send it through our unit, send it straight to the site. Right, so you can build out so you can build out this ecosystem where you absolutely. can capture 100%. Absolutely. Okay, so, so we can, you know, so whether you so we can operate completely independently of a VRT and still enable 100% gas capture. Or if you have a VRT, not a problem. We can still operate. Okay, so well. the the build out here is it goes through the VRU and then through Eco Vapor yes. into the sales line. Correct. Correct. Okay, and, cool. and we don't always need a VRU. I mean, we've got applications where we're just downstream of a blower. Yeah. But you know, you it, it just depends on the pressure makeup on a given site. Okay. So, cool. But yeah, no. So, but but yeah, VRUs are a great tool to make sure that we're capturing all this gas. Yeah. And um, you know, but where we come in and really play a role is ensuring that all of that gas is pipeline ready and can all be sold. Okay. Our VRUs, um, I mean, I, I'm just hearing about them and it may just be, you know, my lack of exposure to them. Um, but are they, are, are they starting to gain traction? Are they getting more adoption lately? Cause I, I'm hearing about them more often. Yeah. I would say yes. Okay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a VRU expert. Yeah. Uh, so I'll always give you that blanket statement, yeah. but I think, so you have gas capture um, regulation as well. So, and it varies by state. Yeah. You know, so like you see a place like North Dakota that has 91% gas capture. You see a place like New Mexico that is aiming for 98% gas capture. And so, and you know, there's others in between. And, you, you know, so when you look at that, that drives action. And so you can't have full gas capture if you're not thinking about 
the production tanks is part of that as well. Yeah. And so that's driving more and more adoption of these VRUs. Okay. It, it, ultimately, if you want to capture the gas, you've got to have a way to move the gas into the, into the sales pipeline. Yeah. So as as there is more takeaway capacity on site, and as there and and you know you will see more and more adoption of the VRUs, um, which will also hopefully for eco vapor as well. Hope uh, you guys. Well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, can, we can continue you to back off that way. Yeah. 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 So I when you guys, it. so when like you have homes that are energy efficient, they're essentially LEED certified. Is there any sort of like equivalent to that on <laughs> wells that have absolutely zero emissions that come out there? Boom, this is yep. XYZ certified. Super interesting question. And you see a movement going on on this. I don't know how much you guys have heard about this, but there are bodies out there um, that are working on, well, you've probably heard about, you know, responsibly sourced gas, um, you know, is a topic that a lot of people are looking at. So um, there are people that want to buy responsibly sourced gas to make sure that, you know, it is actually meeting whatever standard that is. But yeah. the certifying bodies behind that, there are some. Um, the one that probably gets the most discussion is Project Canary. Yeah. Um, you know, Project Canary is one that's doing some monitoring, but also doing kind of a well-by-well -well certification. They call it Trustwell, MIQ. Uh, which is uh, through RMI is another one that's doing some of these certification processes. But I had an attorney hit us up, a friend of mine, and it's like, hey, Digital Wildcatters needs to lead the initiative on what are the standards and qualifications. He's like, because if the oil and gas industry doesn't do it, he's like, someone from outside the industry is going to do it. And that's not what yeah. you want. He's like, you guys should lead the yeah, effort. It's a good point. Do I don't know who that is, but if you <laughs> we do energy tech nights, podcasts, memes, <laughs> well, industry standards. <laughs> Some of the natural people, I mean, we could wake up and it could be the KPMGs of the world, right? I yeah, mean, you know, yeah. those that are very well versed in audit. But yeah. at the end of the day, what people want is a way to differentiate their production and show that they really are well, meeting we, their ESG objective. We had block apps on the um, show a few weeks ago, and they are a blockchain um, company based out of New York City. And he actually thinks that that's where one of their biggest applications in the oil and gas industry is, is around ESG initiatives and, so their trace carbon app. and emissions and being able to say like, you know, a lot of people think blockchain can be used in supply chain. Like, Hey, you know, were these, um, was this diamond responsibly mined and source, you know, make sure mm -hmm. that this isn't a blood diamond. Yep. And it's kind of, this, you're starting to see that same thing in the gas. Hey, is this responsibly sourced gas? Well, so I agree. And, and back to the theme of, emissions transparency i think that's exactly right i mean we're sitting here with you know three plastic bottles of water right i think there's yeah. going to be a day well you've booked an airline ticket recently it shows yeah. you your carbon footprint yeah there's gonna be a day where our bottle of water is going to say x tons of co2e went into the making of this bottle of water yeah and it all rolls downhill yeah I mean, you know, i just all, think the airline thing's kind of like like scammy to me because now they're selling like you have the option to up upsell to offset your carbon yeah. footprint i'm like fuck you yeah. <laughs> and, and, and look i understand i understand where you're coming from but the point is that where there is information there's going to be action yeah you know where people are measuring they're all of a sudden going to do something about it yeah and so i i think that for all of us and this isn't just our industry but i just think you're going to see more, and more yeah actually i was talking to one of my i don't know i wasn't talking to him i'm just more so kind of um, going back and forth on uh, twitter because uh, my friend Craig Lawrence, he message or he measures um, his uh, home electricity consumption for like I don't know, last ten or fifteen years, and he said he's noticed his electricity consumption going up pretty significantly over the last five to ten years, yep. and now he's looking at ways to take that down. And um, it actually kind of like goes with like OKRs, measure what matters. Like you can't take 
action on anything if you're not measuring it, right? Yep. And once you start measuring stuff, then people start becoming cognizant yep. of it and saying, hey, how can we actually lessen our consumption and take it down? So I actually, I think it's a good thing. Yep. Um, I think it's good to be aware uh, of that stuff. Um, and in oil and gas, it's going to be really interesting uh, with ESG metrics and how, um, you know, I, I did a podcast a while back with an ESG focused fund okay. and they very much think that ESG data is as important as financial data. And so if you're a public oil and gas company, or even if you're a private one, you know, you're having to access institutional investors, you have, you have to be able to measure this stuff yeah. and it's going to become a differentiator. You it's know, like, I mean, you, you think like EOG is not going to be touting like hey we've got the lowest methane emissions out of anyone if we're all you know when you think about how companies are measured if you're thinking about the the value of a company is a is a finance guy you know i guess at this point i've pretty well given up that valuation is even a uh, a real thing anymore because yeah. it seems like everything completely trades on emotion at this point mm -hmm. it's impossible to file, follow true valuation <laughs> of any company at this point and so it leads right into the point though People want to put their money in something they want to be involved in. Yeah. And so, and ultimately, you know, your stock price is essentially, you know, measuring the vote of the popular money. And yeah. so, you know, yeah. if you think about it that way in terms of, you know, hey, we're trading at 10 times earnings, you know, we're trading at, you know, 50 times earnings, whatever it might be. I mean, I think one of my favorite tweets I saw recently was someone said, do people realize anymore that to, ha to be a $10 billion valuation company, you do at some point have to generate a billion dollars of cash. That's kind of out the window at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, it's really and a lot of it is because people are voting emotionally with their money. We can go. Let's let's go into this. This is something that I, I love uh, investing, and I used to be. I mean, I grew up as a tr tried and true value investor, and guess what? Over the last ten years, which is the majority of my investing life, I fucking lost out on a ton of money <laughs> yeah. because. Oh, that valuation doesn't make sense. That valuation doesn't make sense. Yep. But when you start looking at the market, when you start looking at multiples about, you know, how does this multiple compare to the multiples across the market? It's in line mm -hmm. with the valuations of all the other companies. I was just yesterday, someone was like, Hey, Palantir trading at, you know, 200 X revenue. And I'm like, yeah, but if I'm looking at Palantir as being, you know, the same tier as a Google or Amazon or Facebook over the next 15 to 20 years, do I yeah. give a shit about that 200X multiple today? Because it could still be a 200X yeah. multiple in 20 years, but much bigger. Yep. And so uh, that's, it's really interesting. And then the startup world, like you don't use value investing in the startup world. No. Like you're, you're thinking, you know, big picture. And so that's, uh, it's really interesting that you brought that up because um, I've had a CEO of a EMP reach out and it's like, Hey, we really, want to own content distribution and cultivate a community. And you look at the Elon Musk's mm -hmm. of the world and the Dave Portnoy's of Barstool sports. And this is the future. It's the, yep. you know, I, I go back and forth with like, you know, uh, like my boy, Dan Pickering, you know, shout out to him, but like go back and forth. I'm like, this is the new world. Like I understand that it, it looks like, you know, tech bubble, but like the meme stock generation is a real thing. It it's a real thing and it's not going away. And I'm not saying like the extreme streams, like, you know, GameStop and stuff, but being able to have like that that following and the emotional investing, it's a real, it's no, real. I agree. It's That's why I think Elon that pumped my crypto this morning. <laughs> no, <laughs> Let me tell you about my sophisticated crypto strategy, right? I just buy all these fucking random cryptos. Yeah. I do zero research now. And chances are 
one of those is going to go to the moon and make up for the losses of all the other ones. But so far, they're all going to the moon. <laughs> Don't well, follow Jason. Good, this good, is not great. Good, this good is not. This is the, this is the guy investment. who made a lot of money on Nikola. Yeah, this, this is, is not, not investment advice. Yeah. The, uh, I, documented, I documented Jake's uh, journey of investing in Nikola and it just fucking crashed in like the three Have they days. made a car yet? No, no. Okay. This is before. This is before all their fraud stuff. Yeah, this came is before out. the fr- okay. before the fraud. I was like, I was like, look at Tessa. Nikola's next, <laughs> yeah. right? But to your no. point, it, it all plays into the same thing that, like you, you mentioned. You know, this all came up through talking about ESG, and I think that obviously it's important. But at the same time, you know, I think people are realizing more and more that you know people are voting for their companies with their dollars, yep. and so it it gets you a little bit away from some of your traditional valuation metrics that people look at. Yeah, and so it's uh, it's interesting because yeah, I mean. Similar to you, I sit here and, you know, watch everyone, watch everyone else make lots of money speculatively and go, man, what am I doing? You know? <laughs> I, I need to do something else. What am I doing thinking with logic and reasoning? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. like, what are, like, what are they teaching finance school like 10 years from now? You know? I think they if just, everything I goes think out they the window, it's like. zero to the multiple that yeah. you multiply by. Yeah. So if someone, you know, if you have a uh, production engineer or any other reg- uh, engineer that's listening to this and, you know, they're building out these systems and processes for methane mitigation and capture, where can they find Eco Vapors? What's the website? How do they reach out to you guys? Yep. So it's www.ecovaporrs.com, which is Ecovapor. The RS is recovery system. Got you. So ecovaporrs.com. And uh, we would love to talk to you. You know, our, awesome. we can help you enable 100% capture and uh, prevent that uh, gas from going to the air and put it back in the pipe. Awesome, man. Yeah. I'll feature you guys in that thread when I ride it. So hopefully uh, we'll get you guys some attention well, there. They'll too. also be at ET in Midland. Oh, that's right. That's right. ETN. October 18th. That's right. Come see you know us what? October let's, 18th. Let's make sure we pump this podcast yeah. out uh, soon so that uh, people people can catch I think this there. one goes out Monday. Cool. I could be wrong. All right. We'll week. make sure it goes it out. It goes out so before. So Energy Tech Night um, in Midland, October 18th. Yucca and Theater. then in Houston the following week, October 27th, right? Yep, 27th. Yep. So make sure that you catch us, guys. Yeah, the the 18th. In Midland. Yep. 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 So cool, man. We'll we'll run into you guys there. Appreciate you coming on the show. Nope. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, give us a follow on LinkedIn. We put a lot of good content out there if you're interested in the in the topic. There you so. go. Awesome. Cool guys at Conseil. Go check out uh, ETN on the website. Just go to events. You can register on there as well. We'll catch you guys at one of those events on the next episode. Come, 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 come.